Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 243. Um, and it's been a long-awaited one. This week I'm joined by Mr. Boots Riley. Um, I know a lot of you have been awaiting this. Uh, very excited about... So, sorry to, to bother you getting a release over here. Um, if you if you, if you follow me on, on, tw- on Twitter in particular, me and Boots have been talking, going back and forth when they didn't have distribution about you know trying to get distribution in the uk because it's been kind of the the unexpected hit of the year in america and initially because it's kind of an indie initially he was told that there wasn't a market for essentially black cinema in the uk and that couldn't be more ridiculous particularly when this film is it's it's black cinema, sure, but it's also a million other things. It's one of the most bonkers films I've ever seen, but I absolutely adored it. Uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it's going to be in my end of the end of the year films list. As some of you know, I do that on social media and on the podcast, so I'll be recording the podcast to go out early January uh, this time. I'm getting as many films in as I can. I'm going to keep this intro relatively short. And I'm going to do a longer outro because I'm just playing about with stuff like that because I keep having a lot I want to chat to you about and talk to you about. But I'm aware that some of you are here specifically for Boots and the conversation. So I'll mention briefly that you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pip or at speechdevelopmentrecords.com, which is where I've got a load of merch. Me and Boots talk about our, our music careers and the, the crossovers and stuff like that. Um, so if you head over to speechdevelopmentrecords.com, you can see there's tons of merch there and all sorts of other stuff. And actually, he speaks of, um, of seeing me do spoken word in London years ago. And my Edinburgh Fringe show is a spoken word show, which is available on DVD and digital download in the web store. So yeah, check all that out. There's no real spoilers in this. We talk a lot about, you know, we kind of avoid spoilers you might benefit from seeing the film first, but you'll you'll benefit from seeing the film in general, before or after. So, so sorry to bother you is out on Friday, December seventh. So I couldn't recommend it more, and it's important to go and support and see in the system. Number one, it's important to see in the cinema because the world in it is so bonkers, as I've said, that if you watch it at home, you're not going to be able to immerse in it in the way that it's genuinely an experience and jo- a joy to immerse in this crazy thing on the big screen, in the dark, with a good sound system and all this kind of thing. So yeah, I recommend going and seeing it in the cinema. And important to support and to prove that Britain, (laughs) Brexit Britain, all the same, there's still a huge market for what may be deemed black cinema, but... um, is a million other things as well. So let's get into this. This is episode two. And, oh, and also, obviously, a lot. Another reason a lot of people have been waiting for this is because on the Spike Lee episode, which is one of the the episodes of the year, I brought up Boots's issues with Black Klansman, and Spike elected not to comment. So I obviously had to then bring that up with Boots, which is only fair. So I'll be I'll be back at the end. If you enjoy this one. Go and have a listen to the the Spike Lee one. Other ones you might enjoy, Jean Grey, Sage Francis, and B. Dolan early in the year. I know they're they're pals with Boots. 
Killer Mike previously. Great episode with some similar outlooks on activism uh, in and out of 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 music. Saul Williams, Akala, tons of really good people. Check them out. Um, also, I mean, obviously, earlier in the year, I had a Patrice Cleurs, who was the starter of Black Lives Matter. So um, we discuss a lot of activism stuff here, so it might be relevant. But anyway, I said I'm going to keep this brief. This is still reasonably brief. How long are we on? It's like five minutes, if that, so chill. Although you will have also had adverts, so it's probably about an hour. <laughs> this is episode 243 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Boots Riley. I'll see you again at the end. Just chat and catch up as Aye. as we go. Um, I've stopped making a, a music for a bit. It's a weird one. I stopped originally. It was I stopped for a year to try this acting lark out, mm-hmm. and then it went better than I could have expected. And kind of three, four years on, I'm doing stuff with the BBC and with FX in America and stuff like that. And I'm kind of like, well, I might get back to the music at some point, but yeah. the film stuff is what's exciting me the most. Yeah. And writing scripts as well. I'm working on yeah. all that kind of thing. Oh, That's wow. That's where my drive is right now, so okay, cool. it's an interesting one. But I should introduce, I'm joined t- uh, today by Boots O'Reilly. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. I actually uh, saw you one time um, here. I was in London. I don't remember when it was, but yeah. I had already, I had just heard your thing like on the plane or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Amazing. And then I came to some sort of a poetry Oh, that's awesome. Like that. I love that. I yeah. saw you up a mountain in Japan once. Oh, I was okay. doing a Fuji Rocks in 2008. Yeah, a, I saw uh, you with Galactica. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, that's, that was my first. I'd heard your name around. That was, was my first exposure. And then I've caught the coop cool. around the way as well. So it's kind of, it's been exciting watching this journey. And I mean, yeah. before we get into everything, it's exciting that you're here because... It's not been an easy path, right? Like you, you and I have been talking in DMs about yeah. the kind of the struggle that you were getting at. You've made this film. It's been a blow away underdog success in America. And then you were kind of struggling to get it released in the UK. You were being yeah. told that there wasn't a market for black cinema and yeah, yeah. stuff like um, that. Yeah, this was uh, what at first the folks at Annapurna who were trying to sell it to yeah. other markets were being told. Yeah. So luckily we, we got uh, some great distributors now, Universal. Yeah. They're I couldn't doing be, it. I'd be better, right? And and yeah. premiering at the, at the at the London Film Festival. Yeah. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, this is, yeah, it feels like a important, I'm a filmmaker. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's yeah, exciting. Yeah. yeah. To see, and we'll get into. Obviously, we're here to talk mainly about. Sorry to bother you. Genuinely, it's the first film I've ever g- g- gone into and made pages and pages of notes. I bought my oh, notebook tight. along because I was like, <laughs> I need to prove this. That I was literally just scribbling away and trying to get the balance of just sit back and enjoy it, or try and take in all that's happening because it's a, a dense film, uh, layers yeah. wise. But before we g- get into all that, let's kind of talk about. The music, um, okay. or, or 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 more, uh, when you were gr- growing up, or was it always about film and music, or was music the thing that took you? 
when I was uh, growing, when I was a kid, it was just all about TV. That's yeah, all it was. It's TV. I don't even think we got to go to movies that much. I, I remember like the big movies. Like, yeah, I mean, I saw movies once they were on TV. Yeah, yeah, know? of course. Uh, and then, um, and then it was about you know around the age of twelve, just wanting to be Prince. Yeah, and, it's a solid goal, man. It's a solid goal. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be Prince. I, you know, I and, and although I was taking guitar, piano, and trumpet, I did not want to practice as much as it would take to become Prince. But yeah. I just wanted to be that. And then I got into organizing at about the age of fourteen. And, w- and where was this? Because you were born in Chicago, right? But grew up in uh, Detroit and but, a few different uh, places. Move was was in Oakland by the time I was Oakland. six. Right. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, this was in Oakland. And um, I was 14 years old and a youth organizer showed up at my house with a van full of 14-year-old girls saying, you want to go to the beach? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, but first we got to go to the Watsonville Cannery Workers right. so and support that. And I was like, I just heard girls in beach and got into the van. <laughs> it's a good sale. <laughs> you know, and that was that was it. And by the time I was 15, I was, I had joined a radical organization, a, a, they called the Progressive Labor Party. Yeah. And, and so I was also doing plays at the same time. My, uh, my grandmother ran the Oakland Ensemble Theater. Right. And so I was around that, but I also, um, did plays in school and part of the organizing, I ended up really, uh, kind of cutting my teeth on was helping out farm workers in the central California Valley. And there, there was a tradition that had been there from Teatro Campesino of people who uh, used plays to, in theater to uh, put across ideas. So I had that going and Spike Lee came along and I was like, okay, um, I don't have to just do plays for 40 people at a time. Maybe I could do movies. So then I uh, was doing music and organizing and theater and then joined went to went to uh, film school at San Francisco State but there they focused mainly on experimental and documentary and this is the 89 early 90s and there's no YouTube no Netflix yeah, you, know, yeah, you yeah. know so where are you going to play a documentary you know who's going to watch experimental film outside of a museum uh, Netflix of legit change the game on documentaries yeah. documentaries were something that a very select few yeah. people watch now just average now everyday just people yeah. average everyday people would be like i only watch documentaries yeah and some of that is in a weird way due to like reality shows like yeah. reality shows have sold a certain kind of format so people are like Completely. oh i want a documentary yeah but we we were in oakland at a time when every record label had to have a group from oakland yeah and so we got a record deal and I quit film school. It's, it's, it's a fascinating one. I was discussing this with Doc Brown, who in fact is interviewing you tonight at the, at the BFI, as we okay. record this, at the BFI. And when I was discussing with him, because he's another one like you, who was doing film and TV or was doing comedy, or originally was doing some acting stuff and then was, he blew up doing music and then went into comedy. And then he's gone from comedy into acting. And, we were discussing how it's all about at what point people got on the train. Because, again, you will have had a lot of people who were saying, oh, oh, how is it going from music into filmmaking, into mm-hmm. in, into this kind of thing? It's like, well, 
No, that's what you were always doing. It's just yeah. you happened to first find me yeah. as a musician. This is all stuff that I've... And again, it's, it's similar with me. I was making just little indie films with my mates long before I started doing music. It just oh. happens that yeah. this is the point that people, a lot of people found me. And so for it me, it's like a, a, lot of the, a lot of the same creative processes anyway. It's yeah. like uh, putting together ideas. Actually, writing screenplays is a lot easier for me than writing lyrics because a lot of times... I might have a scene or a situation in my head that I'm trying to figure out the poetry of or, you know, like translate into some like what's the essence of this and what is that? And like getting like a line from that. And for writing a screenplay, I'm like taking away like this whole big filtering thing. Yeah. That I'm doing yeah. Yeah. And uh, kind of just putting the scene there. Yeah. Yeah. Just painting it out as it is rather than through different f- Filters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, and, and there's filters, obviously, because it's never as it is. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, yeah. It's having some fun with it. So, so how was it to 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 suddenly be signed and suddenly be touring about? It's great that the activism never went away there. You know, if it was a time when people wanted bands from Oakland, then you were kind of there to go. All right, well, let's put some yeah. politics into this. Let's bring some activism. Well, into yeah. This. I mean, that was the the drive of everything I was doing by that time anyway so like I don't think I would have been an artist yeah you know like I don't think I would have had you know the drive yeah if it wasn't for the fact that I I had a an idea worldview that I wanted to communicate yeah yeah you know and that was my whole reason for doing it yeah so, so how, how natural has it been or, or what kind of spurred you to go? It's time f- for me to, to to make a film now to 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 pause the music, yeah, or, or whatever, and, and and go in this direction. It's interesting. So I have had this other band with Tom Morello, yeah, uh, called Street Sweeper Social Club, yeah, yeah. And me and Tom were have been good friends since like two thousand three, and he's a, a, amazing. Again, yeah. people who only know him. From Rage, need to know about the Street Sweeper, the the him, him touring with Springsteen, who yeah. in my mind is up there with Prince. Yeah, yeah. And, and the fact yeah. that that guy from the heavy metal band, again, like Rage, one of my favorite bands ever, but yeah. that guy from the metal band is now in the E Street band. Yeah, essentially. yeah, it's, yeah. It's mad. And he's got a uh, yeah, he's got the Night Watchman, the Night Watchman stuff. Yeah, and yeah, no, but for all the uh, talking about people working together and being cooperative, that both me and Tom do, I think it's really hard for people to like collaborate and work together. Like this, we had it kind of set up where he did the music and I did the lyrics. And for me coming from a situation with the coup where it's like all my vision, you know, that it ended up kind of being a frustrating situation because, uh, you know, and also with that, like, Rage made so many classic songs that you hear those riffs coming out of Tom, and you're like waiting for Zach to come on. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Of course, that, completely. So, uh, That's a tough one, right? Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, I I came out of that situation like feeling like okay, I need to make something that's just out of my brain. That's yeah. all the way like you know, because it's just me and the laptop. You know, or me and the, the the pad of paper where I'm writing ideas down. So I that came from there. But the whole time I'd been wanting to make movies and yeah. things like that. And um, 
probably the oldest idea in that movie is there's an argument between uh, Cassius and Sal, uh, his best friend, and that happens in front of people who haven't seen it won't know but it happens in front of the uh telemarketing place and it's and it's like a polite offer. yeah it's yeah a compliment yeah. off almost. But, there's, there's an aggression <laughs> in it but but yeah so that was something that happened to my little brother years and years before and i was like i'm gonna put that in a movie one day yeah yeah so yeah. um the thing is i'd been wanting to make films i with all our videos i was always either uh, i was a big part of it or yeah. sometimes co-directing or whatever but i would be you know, writing the on the other ones, writing the treatment, doing storyboards, yeah, yeah, yeah. and camping out in the editing room. So, kind of what I do as a producer is very similar, which is basically working with people who are masters of their craft, yeah, yeah, and getting them to follow my vision, yeah. You know, the, that's in music, and so and and getting them to buy into it, not just you know because it's the job, but getting understanding how each of them work and what what I need from them and getting them hyped on what they can bring and then also understanding that the guitar player wants to do a, a guitar solo not because it's necessarily going to make the song better but because he's a guitarist. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. knowing that, that all of that just kind of lent itself to creating a, a film. And that's it. It's, it's the, I think uh, one of the great keys of, of great producers is the ability to play the band as as such I was, I was talking to Liam Howlett the other day about this of the prodigy and he was saying it took them years to get their live thing right because he realized that he had to not just let the drummer be the dr- the drummer he had to figure out where the drummer fits in their live show and mm. they it was simple things like he stripped out all the bass from the drums because the bass had to come from from Liam from drum mm-hmm. machines from production for it to work yeah. and finding that and the same with the guitarist exactly as you were saying rather than going do your thing because a guitarist wants to be a guitarist, yeah. but in this thing, he's 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 an instrument. He's mm-hmm. playing an instrument, but he's also an instrument. So it's finding yeah. the people who can control that and do it in a, a fair way, in a credible yeah. way, in not a kind of manipulative way, but in going, look, I know here's what you want to do, but just trust me. Yeah, it's yeah, better if we yeah. go no, this no, way. It's going to have more impact. Be, always say, "What do you play?" And I'll be like, "I play musicians." Yeah, and and you know, it can be taken wrong. It's not like Ike Turner, but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, you understand how those things work. And so, yeah, all of that lent itself into uh, directing. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that kept getting me excited as I was watching the film was the context of it, was the fact that this is a debut. And it was blowing my mind how you get to make this film as a debut. Because this film takes risks. This film is out there it's it's crazy it's making some amazing points it's got so many layers but it feels like a film that's your you know your your second or third you mm. kind of you've got in the door and now you're being allowed to flex your artistic muscle yeah how did you come about having this well, think, as, as as your first film having that freedom i guess yeah i think the difference is some people may just want to be a filmmaker and so mm. oh i'm more likely to be able to make a film if i don't do these things or if I do do these things. Yeah. But I didn't just want to be a filmmaker. I yeah. wanted to make this film. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that, all those risks, those things that are risky are part of what it attracts me to it. Yeah. 
you know, there's no version of me being like, oh, I'm a filmmaker. I just made heist film number three, you know, the one that has Marky Mark and but where he gets killed at the end or something, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, it it, it definitely is is like I want, you know, I have the reason that I'm doing a thing is because of the art itself. So um, I think that's just really a, a part of it and and part of what helped me sell it to people that were financing it without it being like scaled down in different ways is that it was so much not something else yeah that nobody really could speak with authority about how to make it more this thing yeah yeah you know, like, i love that yeah but that's a clever point because it's not saying that oh this is the new this or this is the new that it's going this is its own thing it's its own creature so what were the cinematic and kind of filmic influences Mm. on this one yeah a lot so one thing i did learn from music you know i went early on um when i started doing stuff i had a lot of influences in music and i would shave a lot of them off because i'd say okay this is what hip-hop is this is what it's supposed to be this is what people want out of it when you say you're delivering them this thing but as i went on i realized the main thing that i needed to give people was passion so i was i started allowing myself to have all these influences in there and 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 i combined that this is all leading up to the answer to that i combined that story with also when i first started off i really wanted to sound like ice cube yeah, I I really needed desperately to sound like Ice Cube. Yeah, yeah. But I was not able you can to. Aim I didn't, for the top, right? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't couldn't do it. I would get mad at other artists who were able to sound like Ice Cube. Like, oh fuck, oh wow, they're obviously gonna be around forever because they could sound just like <laughs> Ice Cube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, what I wasn't aware of is that I had all of these things influencing everything from my tone to the things I wanted to talk about to all and they were all like kind of combining to make this thing that because it was different at first I'd be like oh who's gonna like that you know but all of those influences did that so I've learned that I can wear my influences on my sleeve but the best thing is for me to have a lot of sleeves a lot of influences and it creates something new so i mean there's this movie called black cat white cat by amir costa rica right um another one he made called underground that kind of has the chaos and the energy that i really wanted to have in this film there's um a movie called mishima by paul schrader right who um a matter of fact i stole one scene from there i just You know, um, and people say to say uh, paid homage to, but I stole it. And um, Damn right. <laughs> it's not a scene, but it's uh, and some of it is in the trailer where he's just becoming uh, obsessed by the, the golden elevator. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. some of the crowd scenes in like Michael Cimino films like uh, Deer Hunter and Heaven's uh, and Heaven's Gate, the way that he in Milos Foreman too, like a. Uh, uh, fireman's uh, ball and and uh, loves of a blonde. The way that they work with crowds to develop yeah. scale and things that you can't do in, in you can't. It's hard to do for independent films 
uh, to have that scale because once you talk to an extra, then they're not an extra if you're the director. But yeah. doing it in Oakland, you know, the, the the loophole is like if they're friends and family, obviously they can't stop you from talking to them. So I know so many people in Oakland that the crowd is all, you know, like people I know. So we were able to get some of that. So, but, you know, I, I, I'm interested in how they make these things seem real and feel real. Yeah. So those things and. Uh, we tried to go for some of the, like, in some of the wide shots, some of the feel of, like, Sergei Parajanov, Color of Pomegranates, things like that, where there are these wide shots that have all these details in the composition, but there definitely is some contrast between one of the smaller things that, that, that makes it a little bit more simple. It's hard, hard to uh, describe. Then there's some other ones that are more well-known like Kubrick is definitely a big yeah. influence and sort of the, the weightiness of those things. Like this is a film, this is an important film, you know, and, and feeling like every aspect of it is important. This is not just a Complete. shot where somebody gets from this room to that room. Yeah. This is, you know, this has importance. And what am I saying with this? And How am I, you know, what visually, where, what am I good? So, all of those details are things that got me excited. Completely, and both of those those references there, I think, are absolutely key in that there's so much packed into this, but at no point does any of it overpower the story and the, the point of that scene. There's there's clearly so much imagery and reference in in the backgrounds. As, as you as you said, there can be tons going on, but but you're still making sure the focus is mm-hmm. on the important points. So if you want to go back and watch and yeah. pick apart all these all these little things, yeah. then you can. But it's not a film that's going. Oh, look at how clever we are! Yeah. Oh, look at how much I've packed in here. It's yeah. it's packing it all in for yourself as an artist, but not letting that detract from the viewing experience. Yeah. So yeah. so what kind of, of, of director have you found? You, are you, yourself to be there's again it kind of struck me as because of the amount of layers the script will have been incredibly important there's there's a bit a thing a theme going th- uh, throughout the film of stts st- stick mm-hmm. to the script are you a stick to the script kind of director or are you because uh-huh. uh, again you've cast mm-hmm. we'll get onto the cast but you've cast amazing people yeah. who you can therefore put a lot of trust in in mm-hmm. to, you know to do their thing and well so there definitely were times when you know, a scene is being performed and I'll be like, wait a minute, that sounds stupid. Whoever wrote that, which is me, <laughs> you know, it's a bad writer. So I, you know, you come to certain realizations and you're, you're playing with it. And, you know, that's the other thing from music. You have this vision, but then you have to have your ego attached to the final thing as opposed to, yeah. to all these steps. So yeah, there, there was, you know, improvisation on all of our parts like you know what am I going to hire a cinematographer for if they're only going to shoot exactly what I thought in the first place 100% so I have the idea but then they're like no check this out and sometimes I think they're wrong a lot of times they're right you know what I'm saying that's what that collaboration is for Um, you know and, and all the time we're trying to figure out how to crank it up you know like what's the what's the emotional essence of this okay where how can i take this another level and so so, some of that happened 
before pre-production or during pre-production, but some of that happened like right then and there, like the scene, there's some flip papers flying behind him and he looks over to his right and says, you're really going to stuff, and he's in the office, but he looks over to his right and says, you're really going to stuff all those French fries in your mouth. And, and, and we go to the other scene and we look over and we're in another place and it just kind of leads into that. But that was just figuring it out right then i mean we took i didn't know if it was going to work i love that because that was a scene that, that jumped out and feels like that's such an art a stylistic choice that's yeah. been s- set out before you've started everything so that's beautiful yeah. to hear that those stylistic choices can continue to be yeah. made if you're collaborating with the right people and, and especially especially like we were doing this at such a low budget that we, locations were falling through this and that and we had to like pick things like uh, the power calling suite. Like we had this other one that's still this other location that still makes me mad that we don't have it. And we don't have we didn't get it because we worked bought it even though they weren't going to move in for another year. It was going to be empty. They heard that we were going to be shooting and they did not want us there. I don't know oh, if you really? have we work out here. But no, fuck them. yeah. And no, um, yeah, yeah. they're kind of like worry free. But right, yeah, I was going to say it <laughs> sounded like something anyway, from the film there. Um, so we're you know like okay fuck we got to on our five hours off go look at these other possible locations and you know okay this place has these reflections right here that's amazing and it has those lights so we're going to build everything off of this and that's like a like a improvisation right there because we had a whole different look for the power calling yeah. suite and we based everything off of the hallway that you see in the trailer with omari hardwick and there's these lights that are going behind him and that's why we picked that you know so there's all of this stuff going and a lot of that ability and at the same time as having reverence for the plan and irreverence for the plan is is you know all part of it and again yes having amazing actors who one will roll with the punches and stay in the moment yeah and you know um Come up like like Lakeith is somebody who his whole thing, you know, and I got scared at first, you know, like I was trying to extra plan for everything. And a couple months before I was like, so when are you going to get off book? When are you going to remember your lines? Yeah. And he was like, oh, I tried not to do that till a couple days before. And I'm like, oh, shit, because I'm trying to like I'm I'm nervous. I'm like, how? I'm trying to have everything figured out beforehand. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And at first I didn't understand it, but then I really got it because he's, you know, he. it's not that he's not preparing. Yeah. Because he's remembering all these parts, but he's in the moment. And when his, his delivery, part of it is trying to figure out what the next thing he's supposed to say is. Yeah. Which is what we're doing in life. Completely. Right? Completely. It's, it's weird. It, it surprises me people all the time that with these podcasts i if i can i'll try to only prepare the night before or the morning of because and that's not a laziness or a a last a minute thing i'll have a few days spare but i'll hold off because i want exactly that i want to have that 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 freshness of thought and that freshness of of reaction in there but yeah so yeah we but i did like we did storyboards we did all this kind of stuff and the good thing about it is knowing you got it just in case, you know, we, we had shot lists that we did during pre-production, um, all this sort of stuff. But being able to be like, OK, we know we need this, but being able to, to go with it. And there's 
so for for instance, I had this whole choreography that happens between um, Army Hammer and 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 Lakeith. Uh, Army as Steve Lift and Lakeith as Cassius that had to do with them getting up. There were all these things that happened that I, I had done at the Sundance Lab. So part of this was part of my process, I can't leave out, is the Sundance Labs. I did the Writer's Lab and the, did the Director's Lab. And right. In the Director's Lab, you get to like, you, it, you're you doing with other people, but you get to like shoot five scenes. Oh, wow. And kind of figure stuff out. And had I not done that, the pacing and the acting would have been, it helped me figure out how to, talk to actors about certain things it's amazing all the so but i had this choreography worked out you know and and army said at one point well steve lift wouldn't get up you know it just doesn't make sense and i was like well, shit you're right you know and so kind of rethought the whole thing i love that based on that again it's it's, it's having the faith in knowing that the actor now knows that character possibly better than than yeah. you do because because yeah. you've had to know every character they've just yeah. had to get to know that one yeah, character yeah. and that's a beautiful thing to find those collaborators who you can yeah. do that with right and then the, the question becomes is the choreography more important than in some t- there's certain places where you back into this thing because there's this other thing you're trying to get to and then there's other times where you like oh, no I, I need the actor to be all the way in it yeah. And I need and and that makes sense, and I need to base everything off of that. Yeah. So 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 how's the casting go on a project? I like this because people like a Lakeith has just been mind blowing in Atlanta and in Get Out and things like that, and 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 Tessa Thompson. It's endless. Creed, a Ragnarok, Westworld, um, Annihilation, all these things. Mm-hmm. But then also people like Terry Crews, and I mean. I always want to refer to him as James St. Patrick because I'm a power fan, but Omar Hardwick mm-hmm. um, and just all these these different people. How was it getting that cast together and how exciting was it as it started to come together? Because as soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, oh shit, he's in it. Oh, she's in it. Oh, yeah. he's in it. Like, it's more and more. You're like, oh wow, yeah. this is it was like hell the, of a cast. It was like the team building montage on a heist movie. Yeah, 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 and- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but without that part that lag part afterward where you know you can go to the bathroom yeah um yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah, yeah. definitely i i think um you know once i it, by by the time i hired lakeith um because i had gone through sundance the script was becoming known like agents knew about it and mm. you know they didn't necessarily think it would be anything but they knew about it and yeah. certain actors knew about it and i think the question what there was still a question of what is it what's the tone going to be what yeah. how, how is he going to pull this off and i think w- once i hired lakeith he hadn't been in get out there had only been two episodes of atlanta out and yeah. i hadn't even seen him yet yeah, we, yeah, yeah. you know until i saw him only because i was looking at stuff of his and but other actors knew how great he was yeah and there were other larger actors at the time Yeah, that, you know, maybe uh, an agent would normally be like, try for that person yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or an investor would say that. But hiring him sent out a flare to the other to other actors yeah. of what kind of movie this was going to be. Perfect. You know, and as a matter of fact, a year before I written an email to Tessa Thompson that she only answered 
after I hired Lakeith. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, but by that time, and and by that time, I actually was, we were already in the midst of uh, chemistry reads with other actors and for for the role of Detroit. And I had some of my own favorites and I kind of also was like, oh, you're not going to return my email for a year, like whatever. And, um, and, um, and, and I, and I had also, I guess, incorrectly heard that she was offer only. Like, I guess right. she normally is offer only. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, um, so I was like, I, I'm not gonna, you know, that relationship is so important that I don't care how great the actor is that plays her, I need to see them together. Yeah, completely. And, um, and there was a good chance because of everybody's schedule, there was not going to be a way to see them together until they were there. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the compromise was a three-way Skype session Yeah. Uh, with Keith in L.A., Tessa in New York, and me in Oakland. Like I said, I had had my favorite, so I was like, okay, I'll do this just to yeah. go through the motions, yeah. but there's no way I'm going to see what I need to see over Skype, but there was fire on the laptop yeah, and they weren't even in the same place. And so I, uh, you know, I was like, okay, this is, this is it. And, and yeah. Was there a balance of excitement and frustration? Because if you're there kind of going, fuck this, you know, I've got my phone. And then you're like, ah, oh, shit, they're really good. This is, this, <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is yeah. exciting. But also I had my favorites. I was ready to be, I'll do this. Yeah. As, I'll do service to, to, to this. And then yeah. you're like, Oh shit! This is the film, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, <laughs> you, you, you have to, you have to be okay with being wrong. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And that same, you know, music producer thing. You, you also know if the bass player comes with a better bass line, you could be like, oh shit! Oh, now you're gonna get writer's credit. You could be like, no, fuck that. We're staying on our same thing. Mm-hmm. Or you could be like, we're making the best song possible. Yes, 100%. let's use that bass line. Absolutely you know? key. So, I mean, you spoke about the tone, um, and one of the key things, I think, to the tone was the wardrobe. I mean, there was... It, it's such a striking look. The bloody bandage look looked amazing mm-hmm. and became a little icon on Twitter with the hashtag as as, mm-hmm. as the film came yeah. out. But everything from Detroit's earrings to her wearing a jacket that I've seen you wear live <laughs> at gigs. And, yeah. you know, Omari had... V- very f- familiar facial hair. Um, <laughs> how much of all that was kind of key to it? Was making everyone look kind of it, to striking. me like every single detail is important. So um, one, we had this uh, idea. I had this idea that uh, of that I call beautiful clutter that really went from everything from the way the story is set up to the production design to uh, the costume design and. and, and on is that uh, into the editing which is that a lot of times um there's this idea especially in black aesthetics that i've been involved in you know since uh, i've been an adult which is kind of this upwardly mobile sort of thing of 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 things being smooth and clean and yeah. you know in, interestingly enough like doing music coming out of Oakland. Oakland is a small place. You know, it's like 400,000 people. And once you are there, that you you become your your representative of Oakland. And to the point that 
people will actually come to you and tell you what songs you should be doing yeah, to yeah, represent yeah, yeah. Oakland yeah. better. This is the Damn. kind of music you should be making. This is what it should sound like. That's You're making, a, right? you know, yeah. Like, what are you, that last song you put out? No, you need to make some clean stuff. So this idea of things being clean is something versus sloppy or messy or something like that. George Clinton talks about it at the beginning of Mommy, What's a Funkadelic about him, you know, slicking back his hair and going away from that that hard blues sound, which they call funk, um, and going away because it was messy and dirty. That 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 was something, and then they had to go back to it to make Funkadelic. Yeah, and so I wanted, you know, th- this I wanted something that felt like a collage, like you know, um, and in in. in you know, aesthetically and, and, and had that messiness and jagged edge to it. And with the, the clothing, every, we made everything mean something. Yeah. And uh, we had amazing costume designer, Deirdre Govan, amazing production designer, Jason Kisvarde. Yeah, where, where everything was about something. And it was like a constant, like, going back and forth. Like, so, for instance, with Mr., which is just Mr. With yeah, Omari's yeah. character, which is Mr. and seven underscores. Um, at first in the script, he's called Fancy Suit Guy. But then I realized that it's hard to get across the fact that something's fancy, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. like that something's an expensive suit or a fancy suit on screen. Like it's hard to see that because also we see everything. It's kind of like CGI. You can have a building get up and take a shit and yeah. it wouldn't matter because <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're watching a film you know yeah. so how do we take that and just not have them be so so we we decided to do that with different colors and patterns and things yeah. like that and um i found a eye patch and then that like let 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 a storm loose because then i found the eye patch then deirdre wanted to do the bowler hat yeah, and then I was like, okay, and you know, I had to think about all these things. Are we going too far? Then Omari was like, man, I want to do the sideburns and all that kind of stuff, and so all of this stuff is being talked about. Uh, uh, Tessa is also was also very involved in, like, we Amazing. figured out her hair beforehand, but that was like very much like a collaboration. Like, how do we figure that out? And then um, her also figuring stuff out with with Deirdre. Yeah. So, like, it's all, like, everybody working together and having fun and being part of all of this stuff, which is a big part of why, you know, all through the campaign in the U.S., or the you know, the, the cast has been, like, really out there because, like, we created this. Yeah, together. they've all been involved. Well, we've not really got time to go into it as we're wrapping things up, but I do need to kind of mention at the end, because it was in this, this very room that I got my first ever no comment in an interview and I mentioned it to you, but it's because I had Spike Lee on and I wanted to discuss what you had put forward in opposition to Black Klansmen. And I felt I felt it got ripped apart by the media because it was mm-hmm. put up as this big boots yeah, like they tears called down. It, called it a, an attack. And it um, wasn't. You kind of, at the yeah. very start, you acknowledged that he's a huge influence. Yeah, and, but I you mean, just had he's issues a, he's with a that. master filmmaker, a huge influence on, on me. Like, like I said, why I went to film school in mm. the first place. Black Klansman was masterfully acted, shot. Matter of fact, Chase Irvin, who shot that, was somebody who I had been talking to about shooting. Uh, Sorry to bother you. You know, like, there's, 
you know, Jordan's one of the producers, a friend of mine. Jordan was actually the first Cassius, yeah. you know? Oh, like, really? Yeah, yeah. And, oh, wow. and he directed Get Out. Then yeah, he yeah. said, I don't want to, I don't want to act anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, like there's none of that, but I believe that people should talk about the ideas that are put out there. I believe every movie is political. I don't care if it's a comedy about farting, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, everything has an idea. Yeah. That, that's because we all have ideas and we can't get away from it. But my point about Black Klansmen was just that. And the time when I wrote that, I wish I hadn't only read half of the uh, memoir because yeah. once I read more of it, I was a little more mad. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the point is, is that the and, and Spike, you know, didn't really have to do with the making of this the screenplay. Yeah. Someone else wrote it. But the original dude's memoir, he uh, infiltrated not only the Klan, but radical organizations. Yeah. Black organizations. He actually infiltrated the organization my parents were in. Yeah. And um, the reason for that was called Progressive Labor Party, which was the organization I later joined. reason for that was that they had a, uh, a slogan that said, smash the Klan. Yeah. And they would go stop Klan rallies. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so the actual dude went to those meetings, found out how they were going to try to stop the Klan rallies, was telling his people who yeah. then was working with the Klan around planning those rallies. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. tell me what that is, you know. Yeah. But the point is, is this, is that, you know, let's look at what these things are doing and making movies where cops are the heroes is nothing new. Yeah. There's probably a thousand of them this year. Yeah, of right? course. And so it's not just with that movie. However, in order to make something where the police are the heroes against racism, the only way you're going to do that is by adding n- none of the heroic stuff actually happened. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and that particular cop happened to do some really dirty stuff and was not actually working against the Klan. Matter of fact, he was part of helping convince the dude that was leading the Klan to not move right. to keep the Klan going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which they could have just done it. Anyway, that was my whole point. And and here's the reason. One of the reasons I felt comfortable saying it is that Spike Lee is a cultural critic. Yeah. You know, he has talked major shit about yeah. all other kinds of filmmakers, black and white. You know, he's calling Tyler Perry a coon and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm not saying he's wrong for the things that he was saying. Most of the things I can remember him saying, I agree with. Yeah. But yeah, but the so the point is that many people in the media tried to take it as some big, you know, beef or whatever. I think that there was some idea that, you know, black filmmakers shouldn't be saying things about each other. But I think that we should be talking about the, you know, the ideas behind what we do completely. I couldn't agree more. And we have to wrap things up now, but thank you very much for your time, man. It's been, I'm I'm glad we got to do this. All right, cool. You've been listening to Scrooge Pitt's Discretion Pieces.
There we go. That was Boots Riley. That was a joy. I wish we'd had twice as long. It felt like we could have talked for hours. Um, Yeah, I really... I hope our paths cross again soon. And, um, yeah, I look forward to to all that is ahead. I'd love to work with Boots down the line. I think I made that clear in the episode and outside of the episode. (laughs) So, so yeah, great dude. I really enjoyed that. Um, As said, if that... Bit, bit, bit right at the end there about Spike Lee intrigues you. Go and have a listen to the episode with Spike Lee. He also did an excellent episode with Bl- Bl- Blind Boy from uh, from the Ru- the Rubber Bandits on the Blind Boy podcast. So check that out. What else do I need to, t- t- to tell you about? Next week, I've got Russell Kane. It's a fantastic one. And then we'll be going into Drunk Cast territory and Films of the Year territory. I might be doing a secret a special bonus podcast in the middle somewhere but i'm not going to announce it or tell you too much about it i'm just going to sneak it out so like and subscribe and you'll be the first to to get that um and then yeah i'm recording next week or or, or this week as you listen to this i'm recording three new guests and the drunk cast and with all of them i'll be posting kind of exclusive behind the scenes stuff and revealing who the guests are over at patreon.com slash scroobius pip but while i've got you as i don't i mean i've got i normally have the club night to plug and all that the the club night's back at the end of january i've got Gemma candy but it's nice to have a bit of a break from having to plug live things and all these other things um but what i do want to do is update you on on some of the other podcasts on the network because films to be buried with with brett goldstein has been amazing lately his last two guests have been will Poulter, um who was a great distraction pieces guest earlier in the year or uh, end of last year was it end of last year no early at some point end of last year yeah and and ricky gervais who i've been trying to get on for bloody ages so that's a huge one um also really enjoyed his ashlyn b one a little while back i'm just scrolling through his his jade adam ones and and jack whitehall ones were both amazing i'm scrolling through and i stopped the nick helm one halfway through and i was really enjoying that so i need to to go back and finish that off that's kind of irrelevant news hardcore listing of course always absolute gold they had an episode recently i can't recommend highly enough um it was a few weeks back it was episode 90 with gary hayes and it's about PTSD of the emergency services essentially it's a great one um there also had the B the B Ducks episode with top five Robin Williams films and or, or last week's Josh Ashdrop one with top five podcasts how much more relevant to you could that be um as you are all podcast listeners so that's been great also wanted to mention off the beaten track has been amazing recently honestly last month's run of guests was ridiculous i mean right here's 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 november have this on stuart whiffin's off the beaten track podcast alan mcgee of creation records absolute legend obviously uh rowena alice also a legend one of my previous favourite Hardcore Listing episodes. But then look at this run of three. Gail Porter, Ian Lee and Dom Jolly. 
all talking about their favourite songs and the stories, or not even their favourite songs, the songs that soundtrack their upbringing and their lives and their experience, how they 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 got into them. So yeah, he's just been on fire of late on that one. So I recommend that. Say why to drugs is of course still out there for reference. If you don't know about say why to drugs, myself and Doctor Susie Gage sit down and discuss. We pick a drug each week, and she brings in the facts and the stats and the and a breakdown of the 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 honest realities about each drug. I bring a bit of my own experiences of some of the drugs because although I don't do any drugs now, I've played with a few in the past. They're great episodes, and she's been doing some live ones of late. So I don't know if they're going to be released. I think they are. So that's exciting. But also, the Stop and Search podcast is kind of the unsung hero of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Uh, this year, they've done... So basically, the Stop and Search podcast is about um, the legal system and or essentially drug law in the UK and the world. It's by Jason Reed of Leap UK, which is Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And man, they've done... Earlier this year, that they did a podcast in Parliament with MPs discussing drug law and policy, which is amazing. Like It's groundbreaking. It's never happened before. And then only a few weeks back, they did a podcast inside a cannabis social club in London. So a secret a members cannabis club in London with, you know, um, police crime and crime c- c- commissioner, a doctor and lecturer, and the chair of the UK cannabis social club movement so these are genuinely groundbreaking podcasts that are kind of in the charity sector or in the in the activism sector and yeah it's kind of a bit of an unsung unsung hero of the distraction pieces network so i wanted to give that a plug and and tuesday night jaw it's starting to make its its return jim did four in october and i believe he's got he, he, he didn't get a chance to, to do any in, in November, but I believe he's got big plans uh, for December and going f- forward. So check them out. Um, yeah, the network is firing on all cylinders, and I wanted to kind of tell you about that and get you up to date. Another thing I wanted to plug was l- last week's guest, David Lowry. Uh, we talked in there on that episode about his amazing film. Um, I've, got, I've got up and started to stroll around my... Uh, landing um he wanted he I, I wanted to plug his new film uh the old man and the gun um because it's really good and as said in the in the podcast i gave it the best kind of byline oh i'm a bit hiccupy and burpy sorry the best byline or hype you could possibly do or all you need to know about it is it's a heist movie and the gang is robert redford in his last ever role and I would say arguably his, his greatest. Um, he saved the best till last. Yeah. So the gang is Robert Redford, Danny Glover and Tom Waits. As if you don't want to see that movie, I recommend you getting into the, the cinema. Blag a day off work. Just just don't... Just winter. There's train troubles, all sorts of stuff. You'll be able to get away with it. Colds, flus. And spend the day in the cinema catching... Sorry to bother you, an old man with a gun. They couldn't be more different, um, but they're both charming 
and unique and wonderful. So yeah, I wanted to plug them things. Also, big plug and shout out to Buddy Peace, who produces the podcast. Um, if you are a podcaster, then uh, give Buddy Peace a shout. If you need a producer or someone to put things together, run that ship, mastering, editing, tweaking. He's the best. So um, yeah, I recommend any podcasters listening jumping on that also i'll mention as we're at the end i'm excited that in the new year i'm going to be working with stuart whiffin adam richardson and a, a few other people on a thing called pod bible you might have seen Stu talking about it online it's his kind of creation along with adam and a few others and it's going to be a free podcast magazine that's a digital version and a physical version uh starting off in london um, it will be handed out at train stations and stuff like that, and yeah, it's kind of awesome. I'm 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 excited to be involved because Acast are involved. It looks like Spotify are going to be involved, um, and yeah, it's really exciting to realise that no one's been doing this before and no one's done this. So yeah, keep an eye. I'm not going to say too much more. There's some big plans ahead, some huge guests involved, and wonderful stuff because we all love listening to podcasts and we all need new recommendations and and finding new stuff and at this point you generally hear about new podcasts through friends recommendations or other podcasters talking about good podcasts or everyone guesting on their own on each other's podcasts in the big podcast circle jerk shout out to my homies uh richard herring and adam buxton we are the trifecta we do all appear on each other's podcasts. And the fact is, I'm a fan of theirs. I listen to them constantly. Um, I've been having a good, good binge on Richard Herring's podcast recently. Um, and I recommend you buy his uh, his his Emergency Questions book to, to make sure he beats um, the toilet book thing he keeps going on about in the charts. And also alex horn's taskmaster book um another one i enjoyed alex on uh on richard herring recently it was great i think alex horn is the most underrated uh podcast guest i've been thinking about it a lot recently every time he's on anything he's brilliant he's consistently brilliant as a guest um i've not caught his own podcast yet alex horn in the horn section but yeah he's a consistently great guest so yeah anyway i'm rambling on I'm recommending loads of stuff. Christmas is coming. Head over to patreon.com slash pip. This week's a good week to join up. As I said, it's a quid, and you'll get to find out um, who these guests are. I'm recording to go out next year, so you'll get that excitement. Um, and they're good ones, I tell you. And, yeah, speechdevelopmentrecords.com is where you can buy stuff. Christmas gifts. I've got a signed section so you can buy a signed Distraction Pieces podcast book, poetry and emotion book, uh, live at the Edinburgh Fringe DVD, CDs, vinyl, all sorts of good stuff. So head over there for all of that. And I will see you next week with Russell Kane, who's actually, let's mention his podcast, Evil Genius, is fantastic. Um, the reason he's on is to talk about that. We hardly talk about it at all because we, we grew up in similar areas and go off on these crazy tangents. But... um yeah check evil genius out it's cracking um yeah i'll see you next week i told you it was going to be a long outro bye